Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. It is, um, have I, have I ever said the date? Ever? This is being posted. I'm going to mark the date. August 13th, 2020. There it is. Time stamped. I don't think I've ever fucking done that. I don't even know why I just did it now. Maybe it'll be ominous. Maybe it'll have some meaning. Maybe it'll it'll have some context at some point. Like, I can't believe that was that day when he said the date and that happened on the... Yeah, let's not... Come on. What are you doing? How's it going? You all right? It's getting weird, right? Getting weird. Getting... Come on, man. I don't know what time it is. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what I did this morning and what I did two weeks ago. I don't know how long those, you know, that uh, that milk's been in there. I don't know when I cooked that those potatoes. When I made that quinoa, is that a is that two days old or is it a month old? What's happening? Do I look different? Do I? Who am I? Well, I kind of know. I'm, I I definitely know who I am. Where are you at? Jesus fucking Christ, I got another COVID test because I think I'm just going to do that every couple of weeks because I can. Makes me feel better for a few days. Yeah, spend the afternoon at Dodger Stadium, not for the game. It's different now. Never went to Dodger Stadium for a game. I just go to the parking lot to get a swab, swab my mouth out, stick it in a test tube, throw it in a thing. Day later, negative. And that is good until the next time I walk into a store or buy a person. Got my hair cut. What am I, just rambling now? Don't I have better, bigger things to say about things? Wish I could fucking sleep right. So listen, Ellen Page is on the show. Uh, You know her from uh, her acting in films like Juno, Inception, the X-Men movies, her documentary show, Gaycation. Um, I just watched a documentary that she uh, produced and directed, co-directed, called There's Something in the Water, which is about environmental racism in Canada. That's streaming on Netflix. Fill your head up with the reality Let your heart sink in the hopelessness. Kamala Harris, Biden's VP pick. I hope that got everybody excited for a couple of days. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's starting to feel like the fix is in. The big authoritarian powwow. The grifter clusterfuck. The militaristic shit show. The complete brain annihilation of the spirit of America is upon us. I don't want to say I told you so, but I kind of, I didn't tell you so, but sort of on the pulse of this shit, but it could go down. Now, 
This is the way I think all the time. I don't I don't know how you think. You know, there's a lot going on in terms of trying to keep your sanity in this time of plague and uh, political upheaval and delusional bullshit. And also there's a revelation at hand in that it's really kind of interesting to see how people that you respect and even like and maybe know kind of well and thought were smart are fucking dumb. Just dumb. Have no idea how to contextualize news or information. Have no basic understanding of science. I was talking to somebody I don't know that well about the future and about the nature of what we're going through with this virus problem. And this person said, uh, yeah, you know, they just keep changing, you know, what we should be doing and what's going on. It just keeps changing. There's no, you know, they, and the tone was that like we're being fucked with somehow as opposed to it's a new disease. We don't know anything about it really. And we're learning and things are going to evolve in terms of how we see national safety, global safety, personal safety around this fucking illness. It's like, I don't believe them because they keep, they keep changing their ideas around it because they don't know. It's unbelievable. So the lack of information on a scientific front is evolving. That's a scientific process. What's this? What's this? What's this? Okay, it's not those. Try this. Try this. Try this. All right. Those didn't work. What about this? That worked. All right, so let's stay along this trajectory. Now let's go back. Try this. Try this. Try this. The process. What are people, children? Why don't they fix it? And I just, I fucking fell through the goddamn floor of my sense of self the other night when I woke up in waking consciousness. Because for me, it was always like, hey man, you know, whether it's a fantasy or not, if I got a good passport, you know, I could at least go somewhere. Now that's meaningless because we're pig people. And then the back of my brain is like, what if we got to get out? How bad is it going to get? Are there going to be blood? Is there going to be blood in the streets? Do I need to get a gun? I, I can't just get one, right? And what is what are you going to be fighting against exactly? I actually had that moment. It's like, fuck, are all the guns gone? No, this, they're not gone. It's America. Plenty of guns for everybody. Maybe just a bat would be good. I'm going to just swing my bat. Swing my way out of the apocalypse. Here's what I learned depending on what kind of brain you have. Maybe don't read Chris Hedges as you're falling asleep. Maybe that's not the, the thing to do. Big fan of Chris Hedges. But when you read him, not only do you think that you're not doing enough and that you don't know enough and that you're not smart enough and that you're not seeing things properly, but if you don't do something soon the absolute worst is going to happen. And he's been ringing this bell a long time around what's happening in this country. And I can recommend a piece for you that you should read. Nothing funny about it. And it will fuck your day up. It may fuck your brain up. But it might be what is up. Go look up, go find Chris Hedges, America's Death March. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's written some great books, Mr. Hedges. I've talked to him back in the day. Tried to make him laugh, got him laughing, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that used to be my agenda. When I was back at Air America, we'd do the, you know, like he'd get these heavy hitters on. I'd just be like, I wonder if I can get him to giggle. I wonder if I can get that guy reporter on the beat of the... Ben Laden situation. Was it Peter Bergen? Yeah, Peter Bergen. We used to talk to him a lot, and he was like the guy writing about Ben Laden and the terrorism. And I just, in my mind, we get him on the phone. I'm like, I wonder if I can get Bergen to crack up. I wonder if I can get Chris Hedges to laugh. Like, what is the big victory? Let him say their horrible truth. Let that sink in. Liberals don't want to the horrible truth tellers laughing. They just want the horrible truth and to feel like all hope is lost and to get angry 
And then if that's fixed, move on to another horrible truth. Fortunately, there are so many happening simultaneously that there's no shortage. Chris Hedges, America's Death March. Maybe do it in the mid-afternoon. Don't do it in the morning. Don't do it before you go to bed. And don't do it if your brain is at a tipping point already in terms of just how fucking bad the turn to authoritarianism can get. Logically, illustrated in a realistic way, fucked me up. Thank you for, I got a lot of beautiful fan art of my cat monkey that I have to get framed. My point is the things that are going on is that like how things in your head, how how's things in your house, how's things in your in your area. You know, there's that. There's the the sort of um, hygiene of the head, the hygiene of your house, how you keep yourself safe out in the world, and then there's the world. That's rough. But your head and your house can be all right. Your neighborhood could be all right. The weather could be all right. And every once in a while you slip into these maybe a half hour, maybe an hour, maybe 10 minutes where you're like, it's nice. It's nice to be alive. And then the fucking world comes bearing down on you. But sometimes if the head is nice and the weather's nice and your house is nice, You might be able to get a couple hours in where you remember what it's like to be you and the life you once had. So here's the thing with Ellen Page. I was nervous about it, and I get nervous about all of them, as you know, all of my interviews. There's always a certain amount of anxiety and dread going into it. Uh, only because I don't know the person, and, I, and I, I know she's a sensitive person, she's a, a socially active person, a concerned person, empathetic person, watched her documentary, seen her movies, respect her, but I also knew that uh, she had done a movie with Lynn. She did Touchy Feely with Lynn. And that was back in uh, 2013. She did Touchy Feely with Lynn back in 2013. So she had worked with Lynn Shelton. And I knew that I wanted to talk to her about that, but I, I I didn't know when. And I felt that from the beginning, that was sort of underneath it. She knew it too. And I chose to wait because I didn't want to start crying if, if I did at the beginning. So I tried to hold on to it, but I felt that was sort of an undercurrent of what was going on for a lot of the interview. Just sort of like, when's that going to come up? I had a plan, though. I had a plan. But this was nice talking to her. It was nice talking to Ellen Page. Once we got the hang of each other, it worked out very nicely. Uh, she's currently in the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Seasons one and two are now streaming. And as I mentioned earlier, the documentary she co-directed, There's Something in the Water, which is um, heavy but important information to see how corporations are heartless fucking cancers on the face of the planet most of the time. That's streaming on Netflix as well. And this is me talking to Ellen Page. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something 
something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Are you uh, outdoors? Are you in a, are you, where yeah, are you? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in a cabin right now. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I watched, um, I watched the, uh, something in the water documentary. Oh, wow. And, uh, it was really informative and really, uh, you know, opened my mind to stuff. And, and I never, like, I don't know anybody from Nova Scotia. That seems like, uh, outside of, we can get into the corporate horror and environmental racism, but, uh, Let's talk about Nova Scotia for a minute, can we? <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> is it an island? It is an island, kind of, right? Or no? It's a peninsula. How many siblings do you have? Uh, two, two siblings. So three of you are just growing up in Nova Scotia, and uh, and and your parents were like, what? What's your like? What did your dad do there? Uh, my dad is a graphic designer, and my mom is a retired uh, elementary school teacher. A teacher. Yeah. Yeah. When I talk to yeah. people who, who have teachers for parents, it, it seems like usually it's a real gift. They seem to encourage their children to do what they want to do with a certain amount of support. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, for sure. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. And what like what what were you doing? You know, what what kind of stuff did you get involved with when you were younger? What were your interests? How'd you end up in the arts? Was it always something you were interested in? I mean, like, yes and no. When I was a kid, I was mostly like sport and video games and you know yeah that kind of vibe for sure and then but was always really wanting to go to the you know the drama productions at school and the high school ones even though I had no idea what was going on and my mom would take me like there right was, I had some very clear you know fixation on whatever that is you know yeah yeah um and then essentially I was in school and I was 10 and this, you know, wonderful man, John Dunsworth, who has since passed, he, uh, he came to my class looking for kids to like audition for this CBC movie of the week called Pit Pony. Really? Yeah. And I just got like, you know, picked to go audition for it. And then I auditioned for, I think I auditioned for it twice and then was in this, you know, CBC movie Pit Pony. And then that that movie turned into a TV show, which we shot in Cape Breton, which is an island in Nova Scotia, the uh, mainland to the north. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. That's how it all started. And then it just continued from there in lots of strange ways, I suppose. So you weren't even really acting. You were just um, interested. And there was a guy, a director who was auditioning kids. Yeah. Well, he was a yeah a casting director and he's a uh phenomenal actor himself john dunsworth played uh, mr Leahy in the show trailer park boys which is oh. a, which is a show that um right massive massive in canada and has a, has a bigger following elsewhere now um and uh it's a comedy show yeah. right and then i was on trailer park boys when i was like i think i was 13 13 or 14 maybe that must have been huge it was fun <laughs> um it was a long time ago now um but yeah so that's essentially how it began. I think it was a nice way to begin that way because here you are, you're just like, you know, I'm in Nova Scotia. It's still, nobody was not supportive, but it was definitely like, you know, this probably isn't your future. So keep up your grades, play your, you know, as a big soccer player, play your soccer, like, right. et cetera. Yeah. And then I just sort of kept working more and more and more. And then I, I left Halifax at 16 and moved to Toronto and just committed to hoping that I could make this happen. And did you train at all or did you just go with it and learn on the job? I just, yeah, I just went with it and learned on the job. Um, but I suppose, you know, it's just like around so many, you know, incredible people all the time right. and working with all these extraordinary good directors, filmmakers, yeah, and writers in Canada, fantastic actors, and yeah. 
you know, constantly feeling inspired and learning so much. Yeah. It just sort of, it just continued. Yeah. And also, I mean, it seems like you have this sort of natural, almost genetic, emotional inclination that makes a a good actor and like a good um, sort of activist as well is that, you know, that kind of sensitivity and empathy and ability to connect fairly quickly to somebody else's uh, um, emotional experience. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's been one of the most incredible gifts doing this job in terms of being in a society where we're changing more and more in the ways we speak of these things, but so encouraged, like not to feel, you know, like, so to not uh, connect with our emotions because it can, you know, can scare us or, you know, what have you. And I think to have a job where like your literal job is to connect with this like other, you know, uh, you know, a character, I suppose, I don't know what other word you'd use for it to just like really connect with that person on a deep, deep level. Right. Um, and go to, you know, perhaps different spaces in yourself that you weren't necessarily aware of or things come out. You know, it's really an incredible experience. And then you hope, obviously, yes, people watching the work or when I watch work, that really moves me. You know, it's, you have yeah. this sort of shared emotional experience and like connection to each other, whether it's just like fun and joyous or painful or. Right. Um, so when you like when you do. Because I've talked to, to actors about it before, and like I, I it's it, it's a very different answer for 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 all of them. It seems about you know how much you know doing a particular character sort of informs them forever in a lasting way. And it sounds like you've had that experience probably a few times, where you do a role and it it, it does introduce you to a part of yourself that you didn't know, and then you can then sort of integrate that for better or for worse into your life. Yeah. And I think um, that it's like interesting when I think about that when I was like younger and like yeah. a kid and, and a teenager, especially like when roles started to become, you know, mid-teens, late teens, just like more intense, you know, yeah. more, uh, you know, a lot more to it. And, you know, some really awful scenes to shoot, traumatic things. And I feel like when I was younger, it was actually kind of probably quite, quite tricky to know yeah. how to compartmentalize, to know how to set it aside. And right. Cause you're also, you're experiencing so many things for the first time yourself, you know, like you're really truly that, you know, you're starting to discover and figure out how to establish, you know, some kind of sense of an individual identity and an authentic voice and like going through all those things that we're always going through in our lives, but particularly as teenagers. And you do think about certain like roles and, and situations in that time. And now it's nice to have the experience where, you are able to like take certain things, leave certain things, hold on to something if that feels necessary. Don't if you know much more able to kind of navigate that right emotional aspect of of the of the work. Yeah, and also life, I would imagine. Yes, and life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that thing too. Yeah, working on that one. <laughs> right. Yeah, that that work never seems to stop because there's always so many curveballs thrown at you, and when he started getting the attention, did you ever live out here? I'm in LA. Yeah. I lived in LA for like 10 years pretty much. Oh yeah. And, and you moved yeah. out here, uh, you know what, when you did, um, the first X-Men or when did you come out? No, I moved out, um, sort of right after like Juno came out. Okay. Like, sort of properly moved there and lived there. So I would have been like 21. And, you know, because I know that sort of like for, probably for not better or worse, but for worse, I mean, that sort of shaped your, I think that the the elements of show business that are kind of disgusting uh, has sort of shaped some of your, your social activism and also just who you are as a public person. Did you feel that right away when you got out here or did you have any fun initially? <laughs> oh, um, in that period. Um, it's a really good question. And you know, the honest, the honest answer to that is, you know, I fell in love with a woman for the, the very first time, you know, after we'd shot Juno before the film came out. And, um, and I, and I just remember very much like 
Juno came out, obviously that changed things in an instant. There's incredible things that come with that, clearly. But yes, then the sort of aspect of, you know, people can't know you're gay, you know, where like the dresses and the heels and all these things to make it seem like this is who you are, you know, that became, that just became such a massive part of my experience. These were the people that were surrounding you that were managing your career or you? This, it was, uh, well, you know, you, you can't not include yourself because you, you You're know, going I along was, with it. Yes. But it, um, I wasn't well. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, individuals who were expressing that and who I've had conversations, you know, long conversations with about that time and apologies, and, you know, these really, I think the thing that is, is so fucked up is, you know, the thought is in that time uh, is, uh, oh, we're just, you know, we're trying to do our job and, and like help you and like help your career and all of this. But what a needless to say, a horrible thing to be, um, to even just be, let alone, right. you know, to be experiencing that at the time. Becoming very quite known overnight, then kind of, you know, after having some growth and evolution in terms of self-discovery and, yeah. and then that just sort of going squash a little bit on that. But then you feel, you know, it's so, you're so fucking also like, you're so, you know, so fortunate, you know, it gives me the career. It gives me like such immense, you know, privilege and opportunity. And so you also feel like, oh, I don't think I'm allowed, like, should I be talking about my pain? Like that feels, you know, you feel like you can't. Sure, sure. Like, you know, even now it's like, I still have a hard time <laughs> like talking about that period, to be honest. So my experience was, um, you know, it's hard to know what to say because even though it's, you know, amazing, all these things are happening. This other aspect of it was just not, it was incredibly, incredibly painful and difficult just to say it like very, you know. Yeah. I mean, emotional trauma is, is real. I mean, you know, and, and life defining and, you know, kind of recovering from your own part in it, you know, and the P in the sort of PTSD of that, of, of, uh, of of not allowing yourself to engage with that part of yourself, that kind of detachment necessary uh, to live like that is, you know, it's it's destructive to, you know, it's just a destructive thing. I mean, it's a real, you know, it's a real trauma. I mean, you know, the shame is just Ugh. so Ugh. incredibly toxic and just it affects every aspect of who you are. It affects your mind. It affects you physically. It affects the way you relate to the world. It's, you know, um, it's just because like, that's how you're, that's the lens you see yourself through because of the situation. Well, I think, you know, let's, you know, okay. You're having this experience at this age in Hollywood. You've also right. had the entire experience of your life, like growing up gay, you know, <laughs> and growing up gay and, you know, Halifax, Nova Scotia. I'm not, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 33 now, you know, I mean, yeah, but you knew, you know, it wasn't, you know, like, yes, but not, you know, um, right. and so you, you know, you also just have all of that, right. <laughs> you know, your experience in school or getting teased or, yeah, you know, chased to be beaten up, whatever, you know, right. it's like, or just all the things that are happening in your life in the midst of all that, just pertaining to that sort of one issue in terms of your identity. Um, right. And so, yeah, so then you're, you're kind of, you know, you're experiencing all of that and all of that, you know, shame that's already been like living in you for so long. Right. And then on, you know, and then on top of that, you're getting this, you know, perverse and, uh, you know, violent attention from men, you know, sexually who can't read that at all. And then, you know, you have to deal with that kind of assault on top of your own personal shame and your own struggle to sort of, you know, become who you want to be you mean in terms of working with certain people in the industry yeah. oh yeah awful <laughs> it's like i remember one night at a party in la like a one of my best friends you know birthday parties and this guy um uh he uh works in the industry and he you know he began he was clearly like not sober at the time but that's irrelevant um 
and he was just being really homophobic. Uh-huh. Just saying the like craziest shit to me. I just was like, I, I like kept trying to get him to stop. People weren't really like doing anything and he like wouldn't, it wouldn't stop. And then it turned into like all these, you know, explicit sexual comments about how I'll do this. So you won't be, you know, just uh-huh. horrible, horrible, fucking horrible. Yeah. So I'd say that's like, that was like, you know, that was the that was like the package all in one. But early on, like when you said that, you know, you fell in love with a woman for the first time when you were, you know, right when Juno happened. So you were struggling with this public image and the maintenance of a false public image in. in was that a relationship? Was she was that someone you were with and had to deal with that with you? Um. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what you know how, what was that dynamic? How were those discussions? What you know did did that you know help you in any way, or was it just totally destructive? Um, I mean, she, you know, so I'm not guess anybody ever asked me this in this way. Um, I mean, she was incredibly like su- you know supportive. Right? Mm-hmm. It was like such an overwhelming time. Right? Yeah. Right. And. I think I, you know, it was, it obviously, it, you know, it sucked. It's like, sure, you know, not to sound so eloquent, but it sucked. And, you know, it's, you're just navigating it and it's, you know, it's hurting your relationship. And it's just like, you know, you're not having the experiences, you know, other people right. have um, in relationships. Because you're, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're tearing yourself apart because you're living in these two different worlds. You can't be out and having a good time in public like you might want to be. And then the person that you're with has to be supportive, but also has to watch your inner struggle manifesting all the time. What you want to do yeah. and what you think you can. And then how they, yeah. Or how, you know, it's internalizing for them and, the, and yeah. how they're feeling or, um, so definitely not easy in another part. And right. Know, of yeah. How toxic it is when people are put in these positions. Um, well, I mean, I read that. Like, I, I don't know what the timeline is. I mean, I read the, I watched the, um, you coming out at the uh, human rights uh, event. And then I read the Facebook page, the Facebook thing you wrote about Ratner. And that's later, right? Much later, right? Yeah. What year did you come out publicly? When would th- when did that happen? Uh, 2014. So I was 27. I was just about to turn 27. Yeah. Wow. It's a long time, huh? Yeah. But it was one of those situations where people knew, right? You mean like just people? Yeah. Well, yeah. You had friends in in the industry and everybody else. Yeah. Totally. And, but you know, it took time. It took time and significant time to get more and more comfortable with, with that. Right. Like, you know, before coming out publicly, it was very like, okay, here's just like, you know, now I'm ready to really do this, but up, you know, leading up until that point, it was very just, yes, I assumed it was like, you know, it it wasn't something that I was like hiding necessarily in my like personal life anymore. Um, just hadn't sort of done that, you know, taken that like public, public step. Um, but it took, you know, it took, it, it took time to even just get comfortable with like mentioning that my girlfriend was coming to visit when right. I'd be shooting a film or something like it took me a long time to even get there. And then someone might say something to you who thinks they're being, I, I don't know what they're thinking, like another actor. Right. That could be like one little comment that they never remember, you know, all, you know, so many of the things that have been said to me that like can then really, you know, make you go, Ooh, you know, and like kind of get scared again, you know? Right. right. Um, or an agent say something or somebody make a joke and you get scared again. Like, you know, some kind of comment could get made is all I mean. That could then make you go like, Oh no. And like kind of retract away. again. So it it became like a bit of that kind of an experience. It's terrible. It's, it's like, because you're, you know, you you seem very kind of, um, you know, sensitive and, and I, I'm pretty sensitive, but I, you know, over years you really learn how to, uh, kind of navigate in a, in a, um, with a certain guard up, you know, and, uh, it just sort of becomes a thing and, you know, that it, it becomes a difficult, uh, thing to believe that, that being out in the world and being sensitive is good. 
Do you know what I mean? Like, what's the point of that? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that just seems fucking crazy. So during all that time, you start, you just build up a certain amount of strength around your, your life and your your life decisions and your lifestyle and a certain comfort. And then, like, I imagine the day that you decide to do that, you know, like, to come out. Like, at what point, I guess that's the question, because I, I have found this in my own life a bit, that, I mean, when do you realize that, you know, part of your responsibility in, in your own personal struggle is to to sort of, you know, provide a, an example or, 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 or some sort of hope for other people, you, you know, like, cause it seems like you're very aware of that now. And, and that in your particular situation, uh, the struggle to, you know, sort of be who you are, be comfortable with it, be public about it in a world where, you, you know, there, there is violence and judgment and, um, uh, you know, lack of justice for people who are marginalized when do you realize, I imagine your personal struggle gets sort of, at some point gets sort of the back seat to, you know, what is a public problem? And did that coincide with you deciding to come out or did you realize that after? No, I think it, I think it coincided in, in many ways because I always, you know, hopefully and, and, and will hope to continue to is operate from a place of like with privilege, with platform, you know, we mm -hmm. we just must be using it. It's just right. like absolutely. It's just it's just crucial. It's just what we should be doing. And I think, um, needless to say, when you know you're living in a space where you like literally cannot be who you are, um, and how much that's uh, the toll that that does take on you, and then to sort of like get through that. Yeah. And I feel like. This can be a lot to talk about, quite frankly. <laughs> um, I think when you you do go through, you know, certain times in one's life that aren't are not easy, um, that go to some scary places, and then you realize, you know, on top of that, the degree of privilege and how fortunate you are knowing that certain resources I had to heal, to get better, to get help, all of these certain things that, you know, a lot of people just like don't even have, ac you know, don't even have access to. Right. And I, I think it's a matter of in terms of, you know, those aspects coming together was very much like, okay, like now I'm in this place where I'm out, I'm talking about this and like, now I can like really go just um, make this work that I really, really want to make, you know, whether it was, you know, making the documentary with Vice Vacation um, and in general, just, you know, making films with queer stories, roles, et cetera. Um, and so that was, I'd say, like a big jumping off point in terms of, okay, now, like, like just really wanting to move forward. God, that must have been a relief. It was, yes, it was a big relief. <laughs> You know what is crazy though that the day after I came out, I flew like the next morning to Montreal to do reshoots for X Men, like a day I think or two days maybe. Yeah. And then I get on the plane to fly back, and a priest was sitting behind me. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe like a couple hours into the flight, I felt a little like touch yeah. on my shoulder, and he handed me a note, and I was thinking. Oh, okay. This is maybe it's just like a really cool progressive, you know. <laughs> right. And then it was just this like awful note. He wrote really? like, "I took the the liberty of googling you, and found out about your recent announcement," and then wrote me a whole handwritten letter about like, "You're going to hell." Not you're going to hell, but that you know when they write when they're saying you're going to hell, but they they write it in a nice way. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. That you're you're lost and that you're sinning uh -huh. and that you know Jesus is so, there. Yeah. Right. Massive relief, like one hundred percent, but then that was just very like yeah. <laughs> a reminder a on a the, plane, yeah, two days later like two days later. Yeah. Just passing sort of a, you a note. Yeah. This is still uh, this is still here. You know? Yeah. This will never <laughs> go away. Do you do you get a do do you get a lot of unsolicited 
hate? Um, I guess no one solicits what, hate, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, just no, like very rarely. Um, oh, that's good. It's, it, it's usually just if you know you've talked about something in terms of wanting wanting marginalized people not to suffer, and people get very upset um about that so for some right. reason like you'll get hatred out of like right you know, wanting to talking help about yeah. lgbtq equality in general or speaking about how you know something queerphobic or what have you or transphobic right. or what have you so right. that's when hate comes in but yeah yeah they're just that mostly these people that you know either religious people i understand more than just people who are so threatened by other uh that they seem you know that you there there's no way to change their mind there's no way to make them see it differently unless something just by um coincidence happens in their life that uh that makes them realize it like something that they love or somebody they know has you know an experience that jar, you know jogs them out of their hatred but it doesn't seem that there's any there, there's no teachable sort of uh magic trick that's going to get these people to to act like fucking humans frustrating <laughs> yeah yeah tell me about it i mean i um you know i think people can and do change of course you know yeah i've seen people in my you know online you have change i have in, yeah in so many ways so that's where i try and sit with like hope and love when i start getting angry because i've also you know with the show i make you know, with Vice, where we traveled around the world to explore, you know, LGBTQ communities in different countries. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's um, a great show. It's and it's it's very um, gutsy what you do. You know, when you stay in, you know, you put yourself in, at a certain amount of emotional and even physical risk to uh, to hold your ground. And it's very, uh, it, it's great. It's a great show. Oh, but yes, that is an example of talking to people where you know, you can find yourself just trying to like pour your heart out to connect in your mind. You're like, how can this person not just, how can we not just like look at each other, share a moment and come to the conclusion that loving each other <laughs> and accepting each other is just totally the better way to go. Like for everybody. And, and um, well, what's, what's been your uh, experience walking away from those situations where that doesn't happen? How do you explain it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, that's where I was going to go with that. It's like, and then, you know, you're having this conversation and it's just like, you're not, but look, this is like one, you know, it's obviously short in the show, but it's like in maybe a two hour conversation, right? You're not spending, you're not like, right. you know, in a reality show where you're like roommates for two weeks or something. Roommates um, with Ted Cruz for two weeks. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's hard. Yeah. And you're mostly reflecting on, like, the individual and and those certain spaces we go to that are, you know, uh, incredibly, you know, risky. People just just being themselves is a risk to their lives, you know, every day. Which is the same in many places here, too. Like, don't get me wrong, but you know what I'm saying. So, yeah. You you walk away from some situations feeling, you know, more inspired than you've ever been, and then you leave other situations where you're just sort of hearts broken yeah. by a place that people seem to get where they think a certain way about others. That uh, is, it's quite it's cruel. I right. think it's the level of cruelty that's in a lot of that's really awful, and so much of what's stuck with me in you know certain situations making that show. Right. And also just sort of like, I, I mean, I, I was trying to think about, because it seems that, you know, I don't I don't know which movie that that experience you had with Brett Ratner was on. Was that the first of the X-Men movies? It was the third X-Men movie, the third one. Um, and the first one I did, I was 18. Yeah. Okay, so that was, okay, right. But just to be in, like, because, like, to realize, you know, in retrospect and, 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 to to kind of sort of put that moment in that that reality into perspective you know as a as you know when you did it on Facebook like and and then to to sort of realize that like that was just people just put up with that shit and they still do that 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 guy thought he was being funny right honestly it's that whole situation and that that film set was just the worst it's like the worst the yeah. worst 
And I mean, I've written about it, so it's not like I'm, you know, saying something new by any means. But and then, you know, I referenced a couple experiences, other experiences, just ones in the at the age of 16. But it's like, <laughs> you know, the amount that I could <laughs> write or stories I could tell. And then, um, you know, and obviously we're having a different conversation about it. But it's right. like, it's, you know, you still see this behavior happening. You still see individuals having you know, successful careers. Right. And, but, but ca by calling him out and he got called out for other things, just by, you know, putting you on the spot in a vulnerable place and, you know, outing you in, in a way that was hostile and, uh, con you know, and, uh, aggressive. And then like, uh, I mean, beyond yeah. hostile and aggressive and like encouraging someone next to this, like, I, I, it's like, I don't even want to say it. Like yeah. that one comment he made it was awful. Right. Encouraging someone else in the cast publicly in that moment in front of other people to to have sex with you. Uh, a right. member of the crew. But yeah. Oh, a member of the crew. Yeah. Yeah. And making everybody, you know, just like, you know, the, you know, uh, you know the, and then everybody's just standing there like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just because he's the director. You got to move on. Yeah. And the, the thing is, is like, it, it seems that the, the hardest part about that, about that being the status quo is that, you know, it's so like ingrained in the the power structure of the business that, you know, in order for them to see that they're being inappropriate or, or, or totally uh, wrong is difficult. Like it takes a lot. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that there's that that cultural moment of educating, you know, people about behavior and about sensitivity and about, you know, respect, you know, it was a long time coming. And I think it's possible. But, you know, these the bigger monsters, you know, seem to uh, have a lot of them have been made ex examples. And and and, it, and I think that serves to you know, make lesser monsters rethink who they are, which is good. Yeah. And I think, too, like what you said in terms of people becoming more aware of like you know, sensitivity, et cetera. Yeah. It's like, there's that counter to it of, oh, you're being too sensitive. Oh, you can't take a joke. You know, that kind of energy. Oh, why can't you, like, why do you have to get so emotional or whatever, you know, all these things that are said. It's like, it's also like when I think of that Brett comment and, uh, you know, other, like his behavior in general or other things that have been said to me in this industry. And you just think of like, okay, you made that comment. Do you have any concept of a just how awful that is, regardless of like any of my personal experience or or anything? It is just plain awful. But if we're looking at it in terms of this, you're sensitive. It's a joke. Whatever. Right, it's like, right. like you know, the experiences people have had in their own world and at their intersection of identity, and then you go and like you know make some comment that you think's a fucking funny joke when you have absolutely no clue what's going on in someone's life, right? what they could be dealing with at the time in terms right. of that very thing you're speaking of publicly in front right. of people. Yep. It's like, not only is it awful and not funny and mean, it's like, it's, it's, it's very dangerous. And I find when people are being so dismissive of people saying you need like, Hey, this thing you just said, or what you're saying right now about, you know, this community is hurtful and, you know, and the response is so dismissive. Take a joke. Just. Yeah. I Like, let's all just like take a moment. <laughs> yeah. And give people an opportunity, like never did really have an opportunity to like express how they feel and how that makes them feel. And, and, you know, we've all had to do work in our own ways. Right. Like I don't, you know, we've all had to grow and evolve and, you know, I, like, I'm not trying to, but I am just saying like, we need to understand that this right. stuff is, you know, it's hurtful and it's dangerous and it, and it can provoke, uh, you know, an, anything from, um, you know, verbal abuse to physical abuse to, you know, to violence, you know, to murder. I mean, like these, like in, in, and in, Self, it, it, you know, self-harm, like... Self, that's another point, yeah. It, I mean, it gives people license, you know, self-harm through shame and, and physical harm through, you know, feeling uh, uh, entitled to be violent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I understand all that, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty devastating. But I just was thinking yesterday, because you said, like, something just rang with me. I, I, just, I interviewed um, Leah Remini yesterday about Scientology. 
and um and she's I like her and, and but she one of the tools in dealing with these kids who grew up in it who were separated from their parents and were having emotions was to you know quit crying suck it up you know like the same type of thing is what you're talking about you know with the the status quo of the power dynamic in in the business and and how lesser people like not it comes down from the top but you know everybody's sort of like ah, you know don't be so sensitive just you know suck it this is the way he is and you know it's the same kind of gaslighting brainwashing shit I mean, that's literally what happened, as I referenced in that op-ed about the Brett Ratner incident, that two producers came to my trailer because I had been on set, like, you know, not wanting to put up with it, you know, and it was basically like, we know Brett's an issue, but, you know, you can't talk to him that way. And we need to, Yeah. you need to, you know, we're all just like so aware. And then when I write, wrote that op-ed, I get an email from one of the producers that's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Right. I, I didn't write back, but I wanted to be like, you were the person I was talking about. Right, right. And that's when the email was them covering their own ass. I suppose, yeah. But uh, but like, you know, given that, you know, there has been some at least, you know, cultural attention and some uh, small amount of justice in some of these situations. How how much did it affect, um, you know, your relationship with Hollywood, either in getting work or or even wanting to work there after coming out and everything you mean? Yeah. That's what made me want to keep doing the work again, to be honest. I think I. In, in the time of just being so closeted and, and not well in um, certain ways, I didn't feel, in, I wasn't feeling inspired. Right. I wasn't, uh, wasn't living as my true self. I, I, I had those thoughts in my early 20s, like, God, I don't know if this is how I feel now. Like, I'm, right. not, I'm not so sure, you know? Um, and periods where I just sort of like was, would like left and go back to Nova Scotia and, you know, but then I'd work again. And, um, and then it was really coming out and making the steps I wanted to make in my life that made me love the work again and made me, you know, want to tell stories that mean something to my heart and use the privileges and the resources I have to uh, hopefully, you know, help in any way I possibly can with, with what I have. But. Yeah, it, and you worked with like uh, a woman that I was, you know, involved with. Um, you yeah. know, it looks like right before you came out, ish, you worked yeah. with Lynn Shelton on Touchy Feely. Yeah, I'm so sorry, Mark. I'm so sorry. What was yeah. it? Uh, what was your experience with her? Oh, my. Um... <laughs> my experience with Lynn was extraordinary. Lynn was the kind of human being that made you want to be a better human being. Right. She was the kind of person who you felt an overwhelming sense, sense of joy walking onto set every morning and seeing her because she was just a person who was nothing but heart. Yeah. And so deeply sincere and generous and made work, at least for me, it seems out of just such deep love for what it means to be a human being in the world and the joy of it and the pain of it. And Lynn was absolutely one of the best directors I've ever worked with. And, you know, I'm, I'm really lucky that our craft, has crossed and yeah and i'm uh i'm incredibly um sorry for your loss yeah everybody everybody lost somebody great there you know yeah um in terms of telling the stories that you're telling now and thank you for saying that um like i find that like even watching you know something in the water which i guess you did last year the documentary about the environmental racism and the and the corporate uh, exploitation of uh, of land and uh, and the destruction of communities of you know marginalized people. I like going into that. First, I want to ask you after watching it because I I don't know if I if I if I, I understand at the very end 
Has anything good happened in any of those stories since you made the movie? <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, Boat, Boat Harbor, which yeah. was the, the you know, the, where the mill effluent was going right. to pick their landing first nation, that has been closed. So that now is on the process of healing and, um, oh, yeah. and, you know, it'll be a long, you know, process to get it clean and to where it needs to be. But yes, that, that's huge news. But yeah. right now the, uh, and then, uh, a, a, a new community well will be going in to Shelburne, um, soon. Um, and then the situation with Alton gas is yeah. like, you know, ongoing, but they are, they've kind of, there's been a good roadblock for them. So, um, oh yeah. Uh huh. So they're, they, they can't operate for a while now. And then I think that, yeah. And then the grassroots grandmothers obviously are still, um, yeah. in their, working uh, hard against them. And, uh, you know, it's like endless. There's always. So in the community of the, the, the <clears throat> older, um, black community of which that's Shelburne, right? That's Shelburne. Yeah. Now, cause like when I was watching, I was like, you know, if, if this is what's necessary, did, did this, did the, um, government take care of it or did somebody step in and, and, and provide the well? Somebody stepped in. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was like sort of the amazing thing about that story that, you know, for people who haven't seen the, the film, something in the water, it's a documentary is, you know, this was a, you know, a, a, a community that, what was it in the 60s or in the 40s they built that dump mm-hmm. you know and this happens every you know there this has happened in the states too that you know and then they just bury it and then it just destroys the well water and everyone gets cancer but you know when it comes down to solving the problem they can't get government attention and it's it and the money that would require to help you know turn everything around is so small and it did take private it, pri- charity to to do that yeah but even that was you know that was a whole thing too, even. Oh, for them like, to do it, it with it was, private it, money. It was a bit, yeah. I mean, there was just always, um, it always felt like there was obstacles where there didn't need to be, but clearly this is all literally what environmental racism is, you know, disproportionate amount of landfills, industrial pollution placed in black and indigenous communities and the, and the lack of government response. Right. That's like that's just one of the biggest ones. Like, I mean, it's, yeah, it's a sort of like, you know, a, a kind of genocide through negligence after a certain point. It's a continuation. Like even now in the, in the world that we're here in the States, it just seems like, you know, part of the, you know, the incompetence around dealing with the spread of the coronavirus is that it's affecting marginalized people uh, in, disproportionately to to white people. And I have to assume that this particular administration is fine with that on some level. Well, I mean, if you look at, you know, what they've said in their actions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what else would one, you know. Um, but yeah, and then environmental rate, like in, racism plays into that a huge part, because if you're living in one of those communities, yep. you're, you know, higher cancer rates, higher respiratory illnesses. And then in terms of that intersecting with the virus, you know, you're more so it's None of these things are are separate, you know. It's awful. It's all it really terrible. Is. I know. <laughs> I know. I There's can't... a very cute dog asleep right there, though. That's oh, that's good. Well, that, you got to hold on to those moments. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean it's every no, day. I know. It's a goddamn struggle, and I was I didn't know where you know where you were at and getting into the conversation because you know you're you're you know we're all you know, people who are sensitive to this stuff and, and it just the weight of it on a day to day basis is 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 pretty hard to deal with. You know, mine's been compounded by some, you know, these other things that happen. But but it's like I it, it's relentless. So, you know, what are you doing, uh, you know, just uh, on a day to day basis to keep some level of like, well, you're out in the woods, you got a dog, you're with your uh, wife, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think of like my experience compared to what other people are dealing with in right. this time. And yes, yeah. like I'm, I'm totally fine. And I hate, you know, we hang out, walk the dog, read, done, been doing a lot of press, you know, just like You're doing press for, yeah. Oh, for the umbrella Academy. Umbrella. I yeah. I didn't really uh, like, talk about that. Is that fun for you? Do you have fun? <laughs> I have so much fucking fun. <laughs> 
And I think the season's really, really fucking good, but you, uh, I'm happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about. Well, that's good. That's enough for, you know, that's a good pitch. But yeah, no, the, I, I fucking, I, I love the show and I had a blast this season. So, oh, good. Um, well, that's I good. do suggest people check it out. And uh, your wife's a choreographer? Yeah. Now, was this something like, because like dance is one of my blind spots in terms of really appreciating, you know, the art of it and the history of it and, and even the performance of it. Was that something, did you, were you into it before you knew her? No, it wasn't that familiar. Um, and the first time I saw her was on Instagram, a band that I love, Sylvanesso. I don't know if you know them. They're so, so good. I know. Yeah, yeah, I do. I know. Sylvanesso? Yeah. I, yeah. Like, Sylvanesso, yeah. yeah. And they reposted a video of, from Emma's Instagram of her, you know, dancing to one of their songs. And I just was like, holy, I just was like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> yeah. What is that? Yeah. Just so extraordinary. I was so moved. I was like, who is this? And then I was like looking at her other videos and I like yourself didn't have any real exposure to dance. Mm. So this was this sort of whole new thing I was even seeing. Um, and then I followed her on Instagram and that is like how our whole, you know, first connection even even um, began and uh -huh. then obviously from being with her have been introduced more to dance and it's it's incredible you should honestly watch her work <laughs> it's gonna be annoying but it's like it's so she is so extraordinary she's just absolutely one of the most talented people i've ever known well i, I definitely will you know because i find that i'm very i, I get pretty pretty sensitive to that like like even like any sort of theater if we ever get back to it but like even musicals and I've said it a lot, like I even if a musical is happy, I'll cry just because there's so much uh, expression. There's something about singing. There's something about people singing in a joyful way. And I think dance is the same way that you you don't know exactly w how it's moving you, but it definitely is as an expression, very pure and 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 has a, a profound effect. So I, I will check her out. Oh, yeah, you must. Her work is just like completely breathtaking. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I had a, uh, this was great talking to you and, um, and thank you for doing what you do. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad you had a good time. You're somebody who I, I want to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I'm glad that you, you're excited about Umbrella Academy and, and also like, it's so interesting, the two sides of it, you have something in the water over here and then you have Umbrella Academy over here. So, you know, you, people can have a full you know, full arc of an experience, you know. But I would watch Umbrella Academy after uh, Something in the Water if you're going to do a doubleheader. And they're both on Netflix, so there it's a really, Just... easy, a really easy switch. You don't even need to go anywhere. Just roll <laughs> into the next one. <laughs> yeah. So, well, take care of yourself, and uh, it's good talking to you. Thanks. You too, Mark. That was me and Ellen Page. Heavy, but good. Right? She's currently in the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. Seasons one and two, you can see. They're streaming. And also the doc we talked about, There's Something in the Water, also on Netflix. And uh, I'm sorry, sometimes I realize that... Hear that? That's my, my little beard rubbing on the mic foam. I will try to watch that. And now I will play some guitar for you. And um, I'll, I'm going to go eat something after this. You guys?
Boomer. Monkey. LaFonda. Yeah.